I have the sense that we could have gone for another 30 minutes just like that. Once you get telling a story like that, it's the greatest thing in the world, isn't it? I mean, just to sit back and, I mean, you know, Dino said it, it's the, the small things, it's the one thing. And sometimes when we talk about, like, church and reaching the unchurched, we get so captivated by the crowd and by the size and by the the program and the big picture of what we're going to, we're going to talk about the big picture that I'm afraid we, we lose just the, the power of just remembering that every single person has a story, right? Because we're like, we're not really talking about crowds because really in the end of that, like, who cares? I mean, this is like people who will not spend eternity in hell. You know, because they met they met Jesus and we get to recount those stories. I just think we need moments where we like stop what we're doing and we're just we're captured by the one. I was I was thinking about this coming into it and some of uh, some of the stories. And so if I had to pick one right now, uh, I'd tell you the story of a woman uh, whose name is Mimi and um Mimi's actually the music director for a church in our community, uh, an old, mainline, not gospel preaching church. And she's an artist and she's intensely curious. And so she had friends who were telling her about church. And one Sunday, she got done leading music at her church and she shot across town to come to church. And she sat in the service and just everything started to get upside down on her, and um, she kept coming. She met some friends, and she heard this really clear presentation of the gospel, and then she got a CD with it. And she would tell you her story was that having gone to seminary at one point and having worked in a church, and she said, I was driving down 495. This is her story. I was driving down 495, and I'm listening to this message about Jesus, and I realize I've never done this. And she said, as weird as it sounds, right there on 495, I prayed, and I asked Jesus to become my Savior. And just in the last couple of years, this happened uh, two and a half years ago, maybe two years ago. And the Every, every person, while we jump into the, the big story, it is so good for us just to remember that the big story is really about all these individual pieces and stories. So with that all in mind, I want to take uh, some time, and I've got a lot of material because it feels like that's what we, uh, that's what we came for. So I'm going to try and run through stuff uh, sort of quickly, and... Uh, take some time for questions, and then I'll try and finish by giving you some other resources that might be helpful along, uh, along the way. What I don't want to be lost in all this is that there, is, there should be this compelling drive, passion in us to reach one person, right? I mean, it, it's Sometimes when we talk about programs, programs don't necessarily, they feel like they're umbrellas and they're big and they're about the overall. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that, but it really comes down to that, that one story. So let me tell you a little bit about Cape Cod Church, because I think this will, be, will help to set the stage a little bit for who we are. Uh, I don't think, uh, I've got a few friends in the room, which is intimidating. It means I can't, like, lie to you and make it sound more impressive than it is. So thank you all for coming. Um, you, there's actually a really cool session on leadership out in the tent outside that has no air conditioning. That's cool. Um, so Cape Cod Church is just celebrating 25 years. If you just came in, I mentioned it a minute ago. Um, my wife and I, uh, when we were 23, went and started Cape Cod Church. It has been an up and down journey um, of us kind of figuring things out. Um, Cape Cod Church is a place that has about 1,200 people on weekends, our largest weekends, 
are probably about 3,000. So that gives you a little bit of a framework for where you're at, and you can draw some, uh, some connections. So why a, a topic on reaching the unchurched? So here, here are some numbers you can fill in uh, right on your own sheets there. Uh, I'm going to give you 2016 numbers because I think that's the year that we have the most fully accurate numbers for, and I can give you a frame of reference. In, uh, in 2016, we had 783 families visit Cape Cod Church. Um, that represents roughly 2,000 people. We choose to track. We track individuals too, but we recognize we don't always get all the individuals that come. A parent will fill out a card for themselves, not for their spouse. Maybe they will fill it out for their spouse and all the kids. So we track family units, households, and we had 783 uh, visiting families in uh, 2016. By the way, one of the things we don't know, we live on Cape Cod, so some of you, I just met some, like people come to the Cape, they visit. If you're an out-of-towner, we don't track you, so we just don't find it useful for this kind of thing. So this is people who live on the Cape year-round and we're able to reach. So here's the operative thing for us. In 2016, 54% of all of our visitors were unchurched. I'll go into a little bit of how we know that later on, but we know because we ask because it matters to us. Like, we really want to know. We say that we're building a church that reaches people who don't go to church, and we want to be able to measure that. So 54% of all of our visitors uh, were unchurched. Um, 20% were new to the area, and then 26% of our visitors. Those numbers don't uh, always add up equally um, because of the way surveys are used, but 26%. Uh, came from some other kind of church. It would be Catholic, mainline, and evangelical. I would tell you that the evangelical number is somewhere in the 10%. So 10% of our people who come and visit us come from other uh, gospel-centered type churches. Um, and then 15, 16% come from Catholic and mainline. I would tell you that in our context, um, it is very unusual for us to have somebody come and visit us who came from a Catholic church. And I'll bet the same is for you. What is very common is people who grew up in a Catholic setting who then came to our church, right? We see that all the time. But what's very unusual is somebody who says, hey, last week I was going to the Catholic church, but I decided it was time for a change. Almost never see that, right? We see it in the mainline churches all the time, all right? So this is just a little bit of, uh, of our picture. To give you a frame of reference, these are the kind of numbers that churches don't, a lot of church. It's very hard for us to find any comparable numbers because churches don't gather um, this unchurched number in a way that's actually verifiable and recordable. Thankfully, North Point uh, Church with Andy Stanley did. They published it in their book Deep and Wide a few years ago. The numbers are from 2012. Um, I would tell you that their methodology is a little bit different than our methodology, so I don't think that we can create an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. But in that year, North Point said this, and I just think this is good for level setting because you wonder, okay, are we reaching unchurched people? What does that look like? You know, what does it look like if we're reaching into our community if we're just reaching other church people? So they would say in 2012, 38% of their visitors were unchurched, and then they gave a number satisfied, unsatisfied. I'll come back to that with the survey information a little bit later. And then they said 10% of their Sunday attendance. So the way they took their survey was a little bit inner. We do an ongoing survey of all of our visitors every week. I'll show you that at the end. They did something different. They wanted to get a level set, maybe because he was writing the book. So in January of that year, on one Sunday, they asked everybody in their church to take a survey. And then from the surveys that were completed, they were able to extrapolate those numbers. And what they found is that uh, that among new people who were at their church, 38% of them were not regular attenders of a church before they came to North Point. Now, here's, how, here's what their definition of regular attendance. They said, they asked them, they said, have you attended church regularly within the last five years? That was how they framed their question. Now, we frame ours a little bit different. You're going to see I left our survey questions on the back. It, it, I don't think it actually matters. There's a little bit upside, a little bit of downside. The point is, if we say we're trying to reach people who are far from Christ and far from His church, we probably ought to be figuring it out if we're actually doing it, rather than just anecdotally saying, oh, we got a lot of unchurched people that come to our church, but to actually ask the question. So I'll come back to how we do that uh, a little bit later. 
Let me add two other numbers that I think are really important. We come to a conference like this. We hear people talking numbers like, yeah, 12,000 on this Easter, and I had 20,000 on this. And we're like, oh my gosh, how do you even? So I think there's actually, when you start like talking numbers, like, and you're trying to understand reaching into a community and reaching unchurched people, I don't think you can ever simply compare attendance numbers across the board. I think you have to add two other numbers to that factor. This is just my opinion but I got the microphone, so that's what I'm gonna use my opinion, okay? So here, I think you, you should talk about how your reach is and how many people we're reaching in our community, that attendance number, if you, uh, if you desire. The other two numbers are this. I wanna know what is your population reach in a 10-mile circle? There's a resource on the back of this that you can tell. I'll, I'll show you, there's a link, you can go on, you can put in your zip code, you can draw a dot and tell it, give me a 10 mile circle in 10 miles, it will tell you how many people are in the 10 mile circle. You will be shocked at the number of people and the variance there is from one place to the other. Our catchment area, 10 miles represents about a 20 minute drive. That's about as much as they say the average person will drive to go to church. That's why we use 10 miles. Our catchment area is 111,000 people. That's year-round residents on the Cape, all right? Summer numbers don't matter because nobody comes to the Cape in the summer to go to church anyway. So we're just going to, any of those numbers don't, uh, don't matter. Here's the second thing. What is the percentage of evangelicals in your community, Right? It's going to be really hard to compare yourself to Atlanta or Alabama. Like Alabama is the, anybody from Alabama? They're, those people are crazy. It was like, you know what the percentage of evangelicals, the gospel center churches, people going to them in Alabama? 41%. It's, a, it's like a massive number. Massachusetts, we win nine. There's only, I think there's like two places in the country that get down into single digits. Massachusetts, and if I remember right, it's, uh, it's, it's not. I, I, it, okay, so I'm going to, you don't have a microphone. So anyway, sit down. So, so okay, so here's the thing about statistics, right? Statistics are all over the place. And usually the number people will tell you about the Northeast is a number that sounds like 2.5%. You should immediately be skeptical of any number which your church can carry a significant portion of, right? Two and a half percent is like a insanely no number. I think the Pew Forum probably does a better job of giving overall numbers, and the number they give to Massachusetts is nine percent. Everywhere in New England is bizarrely low. It's like nine percent, ten percent, thirteen percent, but the Pew Forum will give you the breakdown of mainline, Catholic, and, uh, uh, and evangelical. <clears throat> uh, so, a little bit of background information for, for that. So I, I think it probably goes without saying why we're doing this, but um, because of my fundamentalist Bible upbringing, I can't bring myself to do something like this without some scripture. So 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, I try to find common ground with everyone. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. And I think that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're, we're figuring out how do we communicate with our culture. Um, I, I've gotten asked a few times to do uh, groups and settings like this. And I think partly because our, our church has developed in a relatively small area uh, population density-wise, that we have developed an inroad into the unchurched in our community that seems, at least on the surface, to us fairly unusual. And the problem with these things is that I, I'm going to give you five things because I had to show up with something, <laughs> but I don't really know. Like, I'm just being honest, right? I mean, these are things that I think we, we authentically try and do, and we have a heart for, for lost people, and it matters to us, but I know really good people who are trying really, really hard who are struggling to reach people who are unchurched and far from God. Um, and I think 
if I could, if I could pin one thing, and it will be the fuzziest. It'll be the one thing that you're going to walk away, and you're going to go, okay, he told us that, but he didn't tell us how to do that. That was kind of useless, but I'm just going to give you something to gnaw on and figure out what it looks like in your context, and that's this. Number one, creating a public space. I think one of the most important things that happens for a church, if they want to reach people who are unchurched, if they want to have a significant influence and attraction to people who are far from God, in not just being the coolest among churches, so it attracts people who are into church, but if they, they want to attract people who are far from God and far from His church, I think one of the things we have to do is we have to create what I would call a public space. We have to create... That, that sense that the church is a public welcome space because to most people, the church looks like a private space, okay? So the church to them looks like a private club. They're designed to look private. Even our glass is colored so you can't see through it, right? I mean, this is, everything about it says, this is members, we have rituals, and when people walk in, they feel like, I don't, fit. I don't belong. I'm not one. I don't understand. But when a church finds the ability to create a, a, that sense that in the community, not among church people, but within the community, that, the, that that church is a public space. Let me give you the difference. So a private space is, is a private club, right? Have you ever tried to go to a private golf club and, oh, I'm sorry, it's a member's... I, you, you, you feel stupid, right? You can't... You don't, you don't have the right badge. You don't have... I actually went to... I went to lunch one time. I took some missionaries to a... Uh, there was a country club in our area and it was only, one of the only places that had a late brunch. And so I took... And a friend of mine was the chef and we showed up there and they wouldn't let us in because I had jeans on. And they had like a no jeans policy. And I'm like, oh because I, I instantly didn't fit. Let me give you the perfect illustration of a public space, the mall. Your local mall feels to everyone like a public space, but it's not. The mall is a private space, but you can just show up. You don't even have to buy anything. You can just walk through the mall. In fact, there are people that go to the mall never to buy anything. They just go to the mall to walk their laps because it's raining outside. You can go and you can window shop. You can go in and check out one store and leave. You can spend the entire day there. You can, you can compare prices. You can, you can do anything you want because they've created this sense that the, this, this is a place that you can come and you can evaluate and you can make your own decisions. I think when churches intentionally begin to think around how do we go from being a, a public place in the perception of our community. Now, listen, I, I get it. The church is, it's, it's Christ's church. He owns it. And we only come to him through submitting ourselves under him. But there is this sense at which the church is meant to be this rescue station for the community. And yet the people feel like it's off limits. So what I'm saying is that we have to do something to change the perception of our community so that they see this as a place anybody who wants to can go to there, right? They can just, they can just, they, you don't have to do, you just like show up, you can sneak in, you can sneak out, nobody's going to force it. And now I've just told you what, but I have no idea how you do it. I mean, it, it, culture, we heard this morning, is, is really, really hard uh, to change. I, I probably do have, and, and, and in some ways, the next two things that we talk about are, are really around this idea of creating a public place. But I just, I, I want to camp there for one second to invite you to, to, in your own way and in your own context, think about your community's perception of your church. And I think, in fact, I think this is why, for in some ways, um, I'll come back to that later. Number two, so I can keep, uh, keep rolling through everything we have here. Number two is uh, correcting our posture. Uh, wow, we could spend a lot of time in this. Churches have... Uh, a posture. Um, another word for posture might be reputation. Um, it's, it's how people view 
our stance towards the computer. Jake, can I borrow you here? Jake's, Jake's hung out at my house before, so we kind of know each other, right? So it's because I have a daughter. <laughs> so posture is the way in which we present ourselves to our community. It's how, it's how they view our approach to us, right? So if, if my posture is like this, <laughs> Jake's like, crazy old man, <laughs> right? He's like, he's like, I could take him too. He just, he's old and slow, right? He's not even like, but, but when somebody has a posture like this, our immediate reaction is we're like defensive, right? It's like, well, you know, and let's be honest, uh, in a lot of times our communities view our posture as one of fighting with them. That, that's how they view us. And sometimes it's no fault of our own, right? It's what they read in the newspaper. It's what they saw on the news. It's what they think of Donald Trump. It's, it's all of this stuff, right? They're like superimposing it onto us. And it's something they know about somebody who goes to our church and what they posted on Facebook yesterday. Yeah, like, and you're thinking, I have no control over this, right? So this is posture, right? That's that, that fighting, that fighting contrary. We're adversaries. I don't know a lot of churches that are intentionally like that. Uh, I grew up in a culture that had a lot of churches like that, but that's another story. You, you, know, you know what the posture of most churches today is? Right, right? That feels good, doesn't it? That's warm, right? It's just... And, and sometimes we're like this. Don't go anywhere. Because we're guarded. We, we're like, okay, I don't want to fight, but I don't want to get punched. I don't want to get taken out. And I don't know what you think of me, because you might hate me. So I'm just, right, this is how we're playing it, right? You ever go to church, and you know that person in your church that's always like, Because you avoid them because you know they're like, <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, too much contact, right? <laughs> You're good. The church is at its best when it's like, hey, you're back. That's a little bit of, of posture. It's how people are welcomed. It's how we're presented in the media. It's our signage on the road. It's our architecture. It's our people. It's uh, it's secular media and their portrayal of us, which we have no control over. It's Christian media. Because people see it, right? It's Christian radio. I was in Oklahoma last week. I, was, <laughs> I couldn't find a decent rock station to save my life. It was like all Christian and country all the time. It was just like the, the entire. And sometimes you listen to the portrayal. So I'm going to say something that might. I, I don't know if I can communicate this this well, but I'm going to try to. <clears throat> I think sometimes as Christians. Uh, we practice what I call Christian swearing. You know, I'm not going where you might think with this, okay? Let me, let me do it this way. Have you ever had a lost, like, coworker or friend who, whenever they got around you, they dropped gratuitous F-bombs in succession, like, to prove they were different, that you weren't on the... It was like they were marking their territory, 
What the bleep is bleeping going on? Hey, you know, and there, there's like this. You don't have the same friends I do, apparently. <laughs> there's, they're, they're, they're using a language they know is foreign to us to mark their territory and distance themselves from us. Have you ever, have you ever been with another church friend when one of those friends showed up? Right? We're... Christians have their own version of this. We, we go into our conversations with a culture that has not accepted who we are, who rejects the culture that we live in. And we, in order to mark our territory, we, we use language like amen and brother and here's my favorite it's so it's so benign blessed you think blessed is perfectly fine i think it's perfectly fine as soon as my lost friends hear it they're like oh dog whistle that's for christians that's for christians because normal people don't say that but Christians say it. And here's what we're doing. We're getting in a conversation with someone and we're, we're marking our territory. We're saying, hey, 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 we're not the same. We don't talk the same. We talk different. And I'm going to take my language and drop it into your context so that I make it clear how different we are. And I'm going to try and win you over with this. And it doesn't work. It just creates distance from us. Okay, that's a whole separate that's a whole separate message. I'm not sure who said it, but they said insider language creates outsiders. Yeah. That's a pretty good way of saying it. Insider language creates outsiders. All right. Uh, next thing down, church talk. Uh, see how we're doing on time. So uh, I think we, we start to move kind of now into the context of the church building and how we talk in church. And if I could simplify this all, uh, I, I would say that the best churches, our staff just, uh, we just got done with our staff retreat. And one of the things that we asked people to do was we asked everybody to go online and find at least three live services beginning to end. We didn't just want to watch a sermon. We want to watch the entire thing from churches and, and, and to watch what happened and to write down what we noted. And what we found is there were some churches that did this really, really, really well, and you instantly saw it. And then there were other churches that were so locked into church talk and church conversation that it immediately felt like a private setting. So here, here's, I think, the simple way is to, if, if you're speaking, if you want to reach an unchurched audience, then your Sunday services, when they're most likely to attend, have to speak like they're in the room. If we, if we somehow talk like they're not in the room, like we're just like talking to everybody else and all of our people, because this is our people's meeting. Come on. If ever we should get to say our people kind of stuff, it's Sunday morning. But if we don't talk like they're in the room, they'll feel like they weren't supposed to be in the room. So here's a couple of things that I think are along. By the way, I don't think anybody has done a better job on this um, than Andy Stanley's book, Deep and Wide. The other book I might recommend if you like reading things that will put you to sleep at night but is exceptional is Tim Keller's book, Center Church. Those, those are probably the two that I think... Uh, from very, very different worldviews and perspectives uh, go at this, but talk about this. So here's, here's just a couple of highlights. Um, address them in the message. So as a pastor, uh, as the speaker, um, taking time to address, hey, listen, I'm going to talk about something, and you may be here, and you're like, you haven't bought into, you have not bought into church, you haven't even bought into God, never mind Jesus, but you're here, and you may actually disagree with what I'm about to talk about. We just want you to know that's okay. We want you to know that part of this at Cape Cod Church is full of people who are coming at all stages of the journey, and there are no doubt some people in this room, and you haven't bought into what we're going to say about it. So we're going to talk about it, but I want you to understand, I get it. You're not there yet. 
So let me give you a few things to consider. So what we're doing is we're acknowledging that they're in the room. Here's the other thing we do with that is we give them space to disagree. So this is a really, really hard one for preachers because we have honed our art on using what they call the bully pulpit. And what I'm saying is don't use up all of your authority in the pulpit. Use up all of your humility. Step into the pulpit with enough humility that we don't corner people and say, hey, it's my way or that way. This is especially true when we're dealing with things that are not centered around the actual gospel message, right? I'm just saying, don't use up all of your authority. Don't, 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 don't draw every week a red line in the sand, but take those opportunities to talk to people, to give them space, to grow into what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. Anticipate objections. So when you're preparing a message and you're talking about something, in your mind, think, what part of this will they object to? And how can I either acknowledge their objection, maybe I can't answer it, but I can acknowledge it, or maybe I can answer it in the context of, you know, you, so, hey, listen, I'm reading from the New Testament, and I'm reading the story of the resurrection of Jesus, and you're not buying into the resurrection of Jesus, and I get that you're not buying into it, but let me, let, let me at least offer this, that the resurrection of Jesus was attested to by more people than, and you can list off, you can list off all the historical evidence, so you're, you're, you're anticipating the objection, and then you're offering some kind of context for them to wrestle it, uh, wrestle it through. Um, here's what it does. When you speak from the stage and you acknowledge that lost, far from Christ people are in the room, you do two things. Uh, you, you welcome them and you educate your people. I can't overstate that last part, right? You're, you're welcoming people. It's like, oh, they, they're like, hey, there's other people like me. Like, I'm not the only person here. But you're also sending a little message to your people like, hey, 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 listen up. Not everybody here is like you. So stop it. Right? Behave yourself because there's guests in the house. Right? I mean, don't we all act different when there's guests in the house? I got four kids. I have three daughters. Not a problem. They're all good. 23, 21, 17, piece of cake. Then I had a boy. And we're like, hey, hey, there's company coming over. Put some pants on. <laughs> Boxers don't count. Right? It's just, it's, uh, you know, we got guests in the house. I don't care if they've been over before. Go up to your room, right? Where there's guests in the house. So you're, you're educating your own people when we do this. Here's one of the best ways you can do this is to have thoughtful conversations with lost people. You can't do that on Sunday. It's impossible, right? You, and, and I don't mean like, hey, Starbucks barista, I'll take a latte tall, you know, extra hot, foamy, whatever you order and spend $20 on, right? It's, I don't. I'm talking about like thought, like, like if you meet a lost person who's even mildly curious about what you do, you should latch on to that like nobody's business. Here's the easy way to do it. Hey, I'd love to grab coffee and hear your story. Why? Because people love to talk about themselves, right? It's easy. Just tell me your story. And really, that's what I want to know. I want to know people's story. I'm going to come back to an idea that, uh, that we do uh, a little bit later. Okay, uh, number four. I'm gonna, number four, let me just do really quickly because I think there's entire sessions de uh, devoted to this. But... Um, we need to create pathways, and uh, by pathway, I mean a, a pathway to spiritual formation. So you come in here, how do you move from first visit, 
How do we welcome those people who are guests? What do we do to take that person who showed up today and is sitting there for the first time and is mildly curious and wants a piece of information? How do we welcome them? Okay, and after we've welcomed them, how do we move them from that first visit into some kind of relational connection? How do we move them? So in our setting, uh, we, we actually have a welcome desk. We started this, we moved into a new facility. We didn't know how it would work. Remarkably, almost all of our visitors don't want to fill out a card and drop it in an offering basket. They would rather go to the welcome desk and get their packet and take it home, which we love because it saves us $3.53 in mailing on every one of those guests. That money adds up. So this is like a win-win for you, is giving them an easy way before they live to t leave to tell you that they were a guest and to give you a way to follow up on them. I'm, my guess is that most of us are doing this, and we've got a way we're pretty happy with. Um, from there, what we do, this is just our context, lots of good things. We do a welcome reception that happens the first of every month. Some people do it even more frequently. We just find that in our context, that's what works. We do it at the end of each service. Light refreshments, 30 minutes, you're in, you're out. It's just a chance for us to meet. Uh, every eight weeks, we do a newcomer's class. Some people do it more, some people do it less. Ours is three and a half hours. We do ours on Sunday morning after church. We actually tried to do what Lifesong was doing. They do it on Sunday morning during church, which to me sounded brilliant. David came down and we were like eating, you know, full belly clams and talking about something like that's That's brilliant. That's what we're going to do. And we did it and it tanked for us. I don't, I don't, I, we were like, why are less people coming to our newcomers class on Sunday morning when they had to give up before a three-hour block on Sunday afternoon. In our context, we changed it back and we got better results. For us, it worked in our culture. We just felt like, here's what was happening for us. It was, people felt like it was a big deal and we didn't have to make it a little deal for them. That's our context, not anybody else's. Um, from there, we encourage people into starting point. I'm going to talk a little bit about starting point in a minute. Um, but starting point is a program put together by North Point. Um, that is for people who are new to the faith, returning to the faith, or just have questions about the faith. It's a conversational curriculum that is built for people who are far from God. It runs, uh, I think it's a 10-week. It's the best thing happening at Cape Cod Church. In fact, we like funnel everybody in. We just started two new, um, two new classes uh, in starting point uh, two weeks ago, and from there into small groups and ministry teams, which I think is fairly... Um, fairly common. Here's, here's all I would say about this is that you have to have an intentional pathway so that the person coming in who's completely uninitiated with the church culture knows how to get where you want them to go. People are often not opposed. They just don't know where they're supposed to go. They may not go as quickly as you want them to, but just creating a roadmap, creating a pathway that's easy for people to figure out and to follow. So here's the fifth thing. Um, center on the gospel. Um, a lot of what we do around reaching the unchurched and creating that public space is taking down obstacles, right? We're like removing obstacles. We're making it easier. If, to use the word of critics, we're watering it down. I think there comes a place we need to create an obstacle. Here's what I believe. Jesus should be a roadblock. I, I don't think, listen, we should not. We have found that there is, there is enormous value and power in the name of Jesus. I'm talking, I'm talking very, very literally right now. There is power in talking about Jesus and not God or Lord. Because those are generic terms our secular culture is comfortable with. But when I talk Jesus, the hair in the back of their neck stands up because it sounds exclusive. Exactly. Because at some point, I want them to sit there and I want them to squirm and I want them to wrestle with Jesus. I just want them to just... Because listen, if they're going to buy in, they're going to buy into something. They're going to wrestle. They're not showing up because it's easy. 
There ha- there, there's something they're going to get over, right? What do you want them to get over? The, our music or uh, to get over the fear of buildings caving in or to get over some benign fear of Christians being weirdos, right? That, that's not what they need to get over. You know what they need to get over? They need to get over Jesus, right? They need to, they, they need to just like, they need to be confronted with the, the whole story. Peter Laird, uh, as a retired banker, he would bend the other story I would have told. Peter uh, came to the church two and a half, three years ago. He was a brilliant guy and showed up and had, had been out of church for probably 10, 15 years. But at one time, he had been president of his church association in a mainline church. And he's a smart guy. I think he went to Brown or something like that. He joined our starting point. And he wrote his testimony later. He says, I had never in my life wrestled with the divinity of Jesus Christ. He said, and it was at the end of that that I realized that's what I need. The cool part is uh, Peter and my daughter are this semester leading a a starting point class together. So they're stepping in and telling their story to other people who are wrestling with, uh, with faith. Let me, I've got some stuff on the back. I'm looking at time. I've got 10 minutes. Um, uh, Let me do this. Let me, let me run through the stuff in the back. Take a few minutes for questions, comments. And then if we run into the time when you're all supposed to be leaving, those who want to leave can, but let me try and get everything in. On the back side, uh, engagements. So what I mean by engagement, these are just some things that we find ourselves involved in or we think are coming down the road that we all have to be aware of that are a part of reaching an unchurched culture in your community. Um, Local gospel movements. What I mean by local gospel movements is that Cape Cod Church, in our particular context, just on Cape Cod, realized about 25% of all evangelicals in our region go to our church. So we have a large, large footprint relative to the size of our community. That means 75% don't. And we said that we wanted to change the spiritual temperature of Cape Cod for 50 to 100 years. And we came to a point where we realized we, don't, we can't do that by ourselves. We have to do it in conjunction with other churches. So here's the reality. We are much more comfortable with cooperating with churches who are a little bit distant from us, but who are more like us. Two reasons. I'll alliterate. We like cooperating with cool churches that do music like us, that do stuff like us, that dress like us, talk like us, act like us, fit like us. And the second part is it's hard to cooperate with churches you're competitive with. So when we're talking about the church in our town and we're swapping people and we're mad because they took one of ours and they hate us and because it's really hard to cooperate with somebody if you're predator, you're, you're acting like a, a church predator. You just can't do it. I'm just saying, this is, you didn't, this is all extra. You didn't pay for this, so don't feel bad, all right? We started something called Thrive Cape Cod, which was our effort. I would tell you it's like herding cats. It's maddening, but we're committed to it. We, we want to reach our region for Christ, and we feel like that means we're going to have to work with all gospel-centered churches in that very little locale. I still, I love stuff like this. I love uh, Relate. I, I love, you know, 521 with Sean Sears. I love my denominational connection. I love all that stuff. But we have a commitment to the church in our town, in our region, that we shouldn't ignore. Data analytics. I won't spend a lot of time on this. This is something that we're just digging into, and we're digging into it because I happen to have a couple of data scientists at our church and some on our board. I think that our society is figuring out data, and most of our churches are using church databases, which are collecting massive amounts of information. And we're going to start figuring out how do we use that to do two things? How do we use it to be reactive? How do we know when somebody's left the church? And how do we do it to be predictive? How do we know when somebody needs help? In other words, data will eventually help us to figure out who the one lost sheep is. Separate measurement. Measurements. Um, I'm going to go through our survey in just a second because it's, it's what we do. And 
I think churches should be surveying, getting some feedback. Um, we, I talked a little bit ago about the three numbers. So it's not just how large our church is, but it's how large our area is. And it's the percentage of evangelicals. If you really want to get a sense of how you're doing in reaching your region. So I'm working with some of those same data guys to create what we call an event evangelistic impact index. We want to like get a sense relative to our region, not relative to, uh, to Atlanta or Texas. How are we doing in reaching uh, this region? Um, book group. So I am a part of a book group. This is just something I do. If you find it interesting, if you want to try and replicate it, go for it. I'm a part of a book group that started out. I call, I was invited to be a part of it, so I didn't start it, which replicating that will be hard for you, but you know, maybe you know the right people. Um, I called it Nine Atheists and a Pastor. It was literally nine atheists, uh, a couple of doctors, scientists, and lawyers. Our kids happened to go to a private school together, which got us connected, and one of them wanted a little bit of diversity. They said, hey, we don't have an evangelical Christian in the group. That would be odd. Why don't we invite him? And so I got to be a part of this group, which I found endlessly fascinating because the way it works is our group our book group rotates and a different person hosts and whoever's hosting picks five books and the group votes i'm reading the craziest stuff you've ever seen and then we get together and discuss it and i'm just like holy crap you believe what and what i discovered is they're way 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 more curious about what i believe I was in book group this past week. We were discussing a book, um, A Beginner's Guide to Old Age by Michael Kinsley, which is a horrible book, but anyway, that happens. And so it was so horrible, we ended up discussing politics. And, and one of the guys uh, asked me, he said, can you explain to me the evangelical support for Donald Trump? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, all right. Right below this... Um, couple of quick things here. Uh, I think the greatest challenge we're going to face in reaching the unchurched people is we are going to have to have, figure out how to have conversations around the cultural hot topic of homosexuality. I'll just leave that right there. It's, wow. It's, every senior pastor in the room knows the dread that we go into with loving our neighbor and being faithful to scripture and how to merge those two things. This is our survey underneath here, um, visitor survey. So we asked this, how would you describe your overall uh, experience? Um, did you feel warmly welcomed? And what did you like best? Um, and then number six, we said, here's, a, here's how we measure unchurched. How would you best describe your church background? So there are five options. Three of them in our categorization are unchurched. I have never regularly attended church. Like I am like pure as the driven snow. I don't believe in this stuff. For us, 5% of our visitors are that. I went to church as a child, but never or never, but rare, or rarely, but never as an adult. So that's, the, that's typically, I was 13, I got my get out of jail free card, and I stopped going, but my little kid just asked me who God was, and I failed him, so here I am, right? 23% of our visitors come from that background. We're up to 28%. I have not regularly attended church recently, 28% of our visitors. So if you do that math, it's 56, but there's some statistical anomalies in here where people like double list things. I've attended another church locally, 29%. Now remember, that can be Catholic, mainline, or evangelical. So you go back to the front side. And then I recently moved here and I'm looking for a church, 20%. Okay. Underneath that, we say, are you planning to attend Cape Cod Church in the future? Yes, regularly, 54% tell us. Yes, on occasion, 42%. No, 6%. That 42% that says yes on occasion, they're lying. I'm just going to tell you. We figured this out after three years. Yes on occasion means no, I'm not interested in going to church. But if I were, I'd go to yours. That's what this... So we kind of take it as a compliment, but we won't see them for another three Christmases, okay? 
Underneath this is some starting point notes. I've left the website address for starting point. We love starting point. Here's a couple of things you won't find on the website. It's an ideal group entry mechanism for a church of the unchurched. We find it to be the best way. Hey, you should go. That's our, our stock answer to everything. You should go to starting point. You should go to starting point. Everything fits in that bucket for us. It's a great discipleship opportunity for the previously church man. Listen, we meet all kinds of people. I went to church. I spent a lot of time in church. And then you listen to them, you know. You've had this happen, right? You do not know Jesus. You should go to starting point. But I've been going to church. You'll like starting point. You can help us out, right? Third, we leverage starting point first semester for two more semesters. North Point doesn't do this. Here's what we found. We found that the community that's built is so strong in that first semester of starting point that we've created a second and a third semester because we want them to stay together for a year. And then what we found is most of those groups will go on. We either identify a leader from within the group or a leader from without the group that we bring in somewhere in the middle of that year and we carry it on. Starting point number five can create very capable group leaders from within. Man, I, right now we've got, uh, we've got multiple leaders, do, leading starting point, who came up through the program. I would say this too, if you're training, my daughter is getting ready to go off to seminary, she just graduated from college. Um, the single best thing we're doing to help her prepare for ministry leadership is she's leading a starting point class because there's nothing better you're going to do than to work with lost people and walk them through the process to meet Jesus. So that's everything I got. I hear the music thumping. My contact information is there. There's a few data research sites that you can use. I think we've got a few minutes before the service starts. I think it starts at 3.15. I've got 2.58. I've got two minutes. Can I take one question for Yeah. As a, do you run the starting point class as a small group? Do you run it Sunday after church? What? We, yeah, good question. We run it as a, I'm going to go real quick. We run it as a small group. Most of them meet, we have one that meets on Tuesday and one that meets on Wednesday this semester, just kind of dependent of people's schedules. Um, they meet at the church because that's where people are most comfortable going. We always use two leaders, and here's the key. The leaders have to be incredible conversation facilitators. Do not hire your Bible expert to teach starting point. They will ruin it. Their job is not to talk. Let Andy talk. Let your leaders facilitate. You need gregarious conversationalists. Someone else. Sec there was oh, yeah. one more with that. With your newcomers um, class, the three-hour one, is that also an invitation into membership? It is. It is. So, yeah, it, it is. Yes. The answer is yes. Do you get the question about homosexuality a lot in that? I get it in our welcome reception welcome. all the time. So, I mean, people ask right up front all the time, and they ask it publicly. So it's really good to have an answer for that one. Someone else, yeah. Your survey. Paper. Oh, your survey. Clipboard, yeah. online. Online, all online. We get their email. We get a really good return rate on email. We send out the survey. We send out an email Monday morning that's one line. Hey, Bill, it's Tom. Great to have you in church yesterday. Anything I can answer? It's meant to look unscripted. Tuesday, they get the more formal email. Here's all the information. Here's the link for the survey. Here's some things coming up. Hope to see you next Sunday. That's how we do that. Yep. One more. I'll take one more. All right. Shazam. Thank you, everybody.